Welcome back to the Yannick on Chelsea podcast with me, Yann. How are you all doing? Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, not a regular podcast today because, of course, it is the international break with the Nations League. Now, I tell you what, man, it's a little bit more exciting than friendlies. There's, I'm definitely not going to go into the theory of how the competition works because I'm sure all you guys have heard it before and it's super complicated. But you know what? It is a little bit more exciting less uh, substitutions and managers actually try and win games so i'm feeling it there's a few chelsea boys in action uh i'm gonna be answering questions today and just talking chelsea let's go so i got a couple of dms from you guys talking about the pod and one dude says how it's like hanging out with someone talking about chelsea or listening to your mate talking about chelsea which i really dig and to be honest today is going to be very much just me talking about Chelsea with not much structure because of the international break. Um, yeah, there's a few things I want to go over though, and I got some questions uh, from social media, some recurring themes there. One big one being a little dreadlocked teenager from Wales. And um, yeah, I just want to sort of talk about how we're doing, how the players are looking, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so you know what? Let's just get into the little man himself because everyone's been talking about it. Ethan Ampadu, he, um, we all, I mean, I've tweeted about him so many times, about how I think he's such an, uh, he plays in such an accomplished fashion, like he's a, you know, he's been playing with Chelsea, or certainly he's been playing football for a long time, so I got a few questions about him, Charles Newman, off the bat, said, given Ampadu's brilliant performance for Wales last night, can you see him getting much game time this season, particularly the Europa League? And uh, Ryan goes on, he also asked me about Ampadu, Ruben, Callum and Kovacic. And maybe we'll go on to the Europa League uh, squad in a little bit. But Ampadu, what a player, man. We've seen him play incredibly well in a centre-back position as well as a midfield position. But he looks like he's developing at an incredibly fast rate because he's looking a bit more like a sort of creative midfielder as well as a destroyer. We knew he could throw a tackle in because we've already seen him break some men twice the size of him. But he can also move the ball quickly and throw in a good pass and get an assist. That assist for Ramsey's goal was excellent. And the way he into well, he caught that guy in possession, took the ball off him. That's a great thing. Seeing a young player not play, he's, he the the senior player who was tackled there was naive, not the seventeen year old. He was like, you know, I'm just going to take the ball, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and then he went on and made an assist for Ramsey, which was a great finish as well. It really just looks like, I, I want to say the word accomplished again, purely because he's just he just looks like he knows what he's doing and he's calm. Now, obviously, the uh, Wales lost 2-0 to Denmark a couple of days later, and it wasn't such a great performance from Ampadu. Um, I was just listening to a different football podcast where they talk about how he was technically at fault for the first Ericsson goal in terms of positioning and allowing space when, um, you know, maybe performing a bit more like a 17-year-old, which is completely fine. And then, you know, the penalty he conceded for Ericsson's penalty. Um, sorry, Ericsson's second goal, the penalty. Which is a bit soft, dude, if you ask me. I mean, I think the commentator was a Welshman. 
that I was watching that I was trying to be as sort of objective as possible when I was watching that um, on the, the internet but yeah soft but he's still apart from these sort of individual errors I don't think he gave a bad account of himself I don't think his head drops when he makes a mistake it's just um, he's got you know he's still oh, he can't be the finished article at 17 no matter how good he is no matter how much us Chelsea fans like to wax lyrical about Callum Hudson-Odoi and Ampadu there's going to be a teething process regardless. It would be worrying if there isn't. You know, if he's just amazing off the bat, it would almost be too good to be true. And to be honest, the, the dude is hot, man. He's absolutely killing it. So I wouldn't read too much. He did a lot, he did a lot more good than bad so far this international break. Um, whether he can... I mean, when I look at him, I think there's so much talent there more so than some of our senior players in their positions. But understandably, he can't just walk in to the first team and get a place. I mean, to consolidate some of your questions, guys, um, talking about, you know, game time of Ampadu and stuff. Um, yeah, and to go back on Charles's question, Europa League, yeah, you'd hope so, man. I mean, uh, sorry, at Napoli, it's it's a very, very interesting time for Maurizio Sarri and people who are interested in him and his game because at Napoli, he had every right to sack off other competitions because of the nature of where, um, of how Napoli was at the time and their progression and, you know, wanting to get back in the conversation histo- like, like they used to be historically, certainly in the league. That the title challenge last season was the first time since the Maradona Napoli side. So, you know, he absolutely could be like, look, these are my 11, these are who I'm coaching, these are sorry ballers, and the rest of the competitions can do one because this is what we're trying to go in. Now, I think I mentioned this in the previous podcast, but that won't fly at Chelsea. Roman and gang want to win trophies, and they're like, nah, mate, try everything, you know? So... He can't keep playing the same 11 every three days. He's You will know that that will exhaust them. So he's going to have to build a strong B-side. He's going to have his work cut out for him, man. This is this is the thing. This is going to be a new experience for Sarri. He's going to have to coach a B-team. Um, but he's got a very good B-team. Let's be real, right? Like, um, he could play any, say, Giroud. Scored a lovely goal yesterday. Let's just put a pin in this for a second. Chavrou's goal for France was proper naughty, mate. See, he's not just a team player. He that was an old school centre forward, one first time volley, around you know Virgil Van Dijk, the inverted commas best centre back in the Premier League. Nah, no, mate. Stick my leg around you. You're gonna volley that straight in the goal. No worries. It's good to see him get that because um you know the French fans love him. He's got he's got a. Uh, good following at Chelsea already um you know he's not the sort of quintessential sorry striker but we we still have a sort of a he's he's still got a very sort of um cult here short-term cult hero attraction about him because he does want to get stuck in he's really happy to be at Chelsea and he's an experienced player and he just loves scoring and like he loves it when Chelsea wins and he loves it when France wins so it's quite an endearing fact is about him anyway up Giroud man it was a sick goal Anyway, so I digress slightly. The B team for Sarri. Yeah, it's a new experience. I think he will coach um, a really good B team. So say Giroud did start. He could be flanked by hudson Adoy on the left. And then even Willian can start on the right because he's sort of um, being uh, the backup for Pedro at the moment. Off the bat, it's a very experienced front three to be playing against some like you know weaker Eastern European sides. 
obviously we've got loads of midfielders as well, you know, the quality midfielders. Fabregas can come in for Jorginho in that middle role. You know, Fabregas is a very cultured, technical, experienced and good, talented player. It's just not suiting him in the Premier League anymore, really. But he could tear up Europa League group stages, you know. So Fabregas and then Barkley and roll off his cheek. It's decent, isn't it? And then, you know, we got other centre-backs, including Christensen. He's not a bad centre-back to come in. You know, people are calling for him. And then Emerson and even Moses at right-back. Dude, that's looking like a sweet B-team, you know. And as the competition goes on, maybe in to keep a couple of the big boys on the bench. Ampadu. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Ampadu. <laughs> yeah, Ampadu. He'll be Ampadu and Christensen, or even the midfield. You know, he'll certainly be in there. Sorry would be silly to neglect him and certainly would have almost probably had orders from the club to implement him in this uh, competition. It's really interesting. I mean, it's difficult to call because he might take it so seriously to get a trophy that he does play a, a semi-super strong side. But one would assume, Charles, and everyone else asking you about Ampadu, that he has to come in there. Certainly as well, early cup against these lower league sides, you know. If he's playing against a big rough and tumble island side, he can certainly play against a sort of a League 2, League 1 side, early doors in the um, League Cup or FA Cup. He's incredibly talented. He's strong as well. For a 17-year-old, people do bounce off him. He's often picking people up. And he hasn't got a massive frame. I think he's just probably conditioned really well. And he's just... um, He's a really good representation of this, like millennial conditioned player you know like super healthy he's probably quite good genetically in terms of just strength and speed and endurance but you know they've obviously top level football have looked after him for a while even the probably like the sort of also 18 months or whatever or however long Chelsea have had him have probably like been a, a really important time for him as well in terms of development so he's probably got way better I mean he has got way better just looking at him in that in that uh, short period of time um, what's the dude going to be like when he's 20 years old and people are going to be like, oh, he's only 20 years old, but it would have by then seemed like he's been around forever. Oh, dude, yeah, anyway, the future's bright, especially if we can keep hold of him by playing him. He's already talking about how he wants to play, which is a little bit like, you know, it's a little bit of sweaty moments like, dude, you are at Chelsea and you are 17, so hopefully he just chills and makes himself undroppable, which essentially... Is uh is is you know it can happen. Look at look at the look at the guy. It's incredibly talented. Certainly, I put a really interesting uh poll out about who's more important. And the 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 thing is about Twitter polls, the uh, choices. I wanted to make the choice titles really long for context rather than putting it in the question. But essentially, what I want the message of or the question I was posing that I wanted to get across was, who is more important for Chelsea FC at the moment? recently bought like a year ago Ethan Ampadu who's 17 years old um from Exeter you know he's a recent purchase or academy product Ruben Loftus-Cheek that has been developed since what was he five years old we picked him up with Tammy Solanke and uh whoever else um you know there's that great picture of him and Roman and the other kids who's been there for ages and like you know everyone was watching Rubes for a long time and they thought oh, look at this guy that he's built look how he's like grown into a man he's an absolute specimen he's fast he's technical people forget that and um so i said who and this was just after the wales island game so people had that you know fresh in their heads there's an argument to be made if i put out the same poll just after that friendly against germany where ruben got man of the match that you know it would go the other way but 
the majority went with Ampadu. I think it was approximately like 65%. So, you know, people are loving him, dude. Um, it's so early. It's so like in its infancy. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of buzz about him. And, like, I had an argument in the pub yesterday, right? <laughs> this is what this podcast has come to. No structure about game review, so I'm telling you about pub conversations about football. Anyway, I was with my mate, he's a Fulham fan. And we were discussing Wonder Kids, like Cessignon and, you know, yeah, Pulisic, um, just a bunch of kids. And I was, t- I was telling him, man, um, he's, he's actually going to a Europa League game with me, the one against Pauk or Pauk at home at the bridge um, in Octo- early October. And I said, yeah, man, yeah, hopefully we'll see him and Padu and, like, oh, you know, really be... Because I-, I went to go and see Chelsea Youth once, but Hudson-Odoi wasn't there. But I haven't actually seen Hudson-Odoi play, so I was like, oh, he might play, we could both get to see him. And he was like, who the hell is this kid? And I was trying to sort of start waxing lyrical about how good this uh, this Chelsea kid is. And he was just like, nah, mate, nah. <laughs> he wasn't having it. I think he was trying to wind me up a little bit. But, but I was saying, like, no, no. And then he started, he was on his phone and he was reeling off, you know, UEFA's one the kids to watch. And um, hudson Adoy wasn't there. <laughs> and I got really wound up. I was like, look, dude, he can play across the front three. He's incredibly technical. He's a finisher. He's physical enough, like, he can definitely endure uh, defensive back lines and stuff already. Uh, maybe not quite a beast as Ampadu, but he's very, he can he can handle himself. He's, I think he's over six foot, or he's six foot. And the dude is killer fast. I started telling him about how he was roasting Bellerin, but how we've seen him before in pre-season and, you know, for you at youth level, like, you know, me watching games on the internet and stuff. He's incredibly fast, technical, direct, his interplay is good, and he's just got it all, man, this kid. Anyway, he wasn't having it because it wasn't on the list. Ampadu was at the top, though. It's funny, isn't it? Because he's fresh in mind that everyone's talking about him. If um, Hudson-Odoi had, like, one game for England like that, then he'd be all over the papers. Anyway, he probably could. Yeah, so Ampadu's up there. Everyone's talking about him. Let's see how he does. This rambles over. I'm going to sort of consolidate this into the Ampadu section because he's been a big sort of talking factor, Um, you know. We haven't seen... It would be nice if uh, Hudson-Odoi was... I was going to say, if he wasn't English, God forbid I didn't say that. I was going to say, if he was in another side that's easier to get into, that we could see him play. But no, thank God he's English. The next generation of English players is absolutely going to be dope. But yeah, man, I'm going to end this first section, and it's going to be the Amper Dude section. (laughs) Right, I'm going to dip back into the questions, answer a few, and then I will go and preview the Cardiff game. NC Wagwan there. I got loads of random questions. Okay, my man Ryan Watson, pod regular, he's definitely thrown me way too many questions. Um, I'm gonna answer a couple, dude. Um, I'll just pick out a couple. What's your favourite piece of Chelsea memorabilia? Um, I tell you what, I used to have some stuff as a kid. I was a big Chelsea fan as a kid, and then I stopped watching them for like a few years when I got into other things in life, um, and then I sort of came back and became a football purist and an obsessive fan. But when I was little, I used to have um, loads of like Chelsea things around my room, uh, duvets, watches and stuff, but I don't have any of that anymore. Um, probably, I went to the FA Cup final with my brother-in-law, not the one that we won, the one that we lost <laughs> recently. And I've got this really nice uh, old school sort of vintage Chelsea polo uh, with the old kit. I think it's the sort of style from the 80s. That's super nice. And I like that. It's not like um, when you wear like a jersey or whatever, you feel like I'm really representing and, you know, I'm 
without going to a football match. It's something that you can wear about a little bit more casually, but it's like a bit more proper Chelsea as well because it's old school. Um, I don't think it's a legitimate one. I think it's like a replica. But anyway, it looks cool and I really like that. So you know what? I'm going to pick that, Holmes. You also asked me, what is my favourite Chelsea match? Um, probably the two all against Barcelona in the Champions League where, you know, Cahill goes off injured, JT gets that soft red card. We go 2-0 down and we come back to draw 2-2 to qualify. That is absolutely epic. I posted actually a video on it yesterday on the Twitter because, dude, that that is, that is what Chelsea is all about. Never die, you know, not soft. Like, that was that whole Champions League campaign, not knowing when you're beat. Anyway, that was great. Um, it's just a, yeah, for me, that just represents Chelsea. If a friend sets you up on a blind date with a Spurs fan, do you go? Um, it's yes, if she's if she's proper naughty. <laughs> no, I mean, mate, yeah, man, I've got mates that are Spurs fans and stuff, and you know, you could probably try and like condition her out to her and make her realise how how mentally unwell she is and you know hopefully move on from there so yeah go on the first date and see how things go okay Ashley asks do you think the new stadium will go ahead and recently West Ham released that they would only make 8 million from moving into a new stadium for that holds over 60k capacity um so is moving stadiums actually worth the investment um or is it purely for the club stature? That's an excellent question, Ashley. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for taking it out of the trenches where Ryan dragged me down. Um, oh yeah, you know what? Chelsea is such a canny club financially <clears throat> in terms of business. Um, they wouldn't do it. I mean, maybe the fact how they've stalled it is something, you know, isn't it's contextually financial in that sense, and nothing to do with this whole narrative of Roman and his visa. Um, yeah, the thing is, West Ham, I don't think, would be a great um, a great example because they're a shit show all round, man. <clears throat> whether that's investing in new players that aren't worth the money, that'll make a massive loss in, whether that's the politics around the club and the ownership and the fans maybe boycotting. They're probably not filling the London Stadium, do you know what I mean? Um, hence the poor returns. Um, and also, they've only made 8 million, you say, that also probably needs context as well. Maybe, you know, you are supposed to only make 8 million by the second season, but by the third, fourth, fifth, you're killing it. Uh, I don't think I'd be worried as a Chelsea fan making the comparison to the London Stadium for West Ham. Um, you know, Spurs, it's a difficult one with Spurs, actually, because White Hart Lane was obviously such a fortress for them at the end, and, and they were so pissed off to be going to Wembley. But... Spurs are becoming a force as much as it's unpleasant and, you know, their big wins against big teams, you know, being Real Madrid, um, getting four points off the two legs against Real Madrid in the group was such a big statement and everyone knows who Harry Kane is now, you know, everyone sort of sees him as the best, cons- most consistent nine in Europe in terms of scoring in the league. So, well, obviously they're out of White Hart Lane now and they're going to go into the new stadium, the toilet seat. If you haven't seen the new Spurs stadium from an aerial view, I urge you to go and look at it because it's a toilet seat. Um, and then you ask if, it, if it's for club stature. It will be for finances. Everything's business these days, dude. Um, look at all the problems in certain clubs, you know, whether people hate the Glazers or the, you know, United or Cronky, or Arsenal, even like, you know, people get Newcastle. Even um, 
Daniel Levy not spending to a degree and being really canny with finances, pissing Spurs fans off. It's all money, so it's stature, but stature sort of comes with the money afterwards. Okay, Jimmy. Jimmy J. Schwartzel. I think I nailed that pronunciation, dude. With Alonso entering the box so much, is it crazy to wonder if he could fill the CM position? He has late runs, uh, like Lampard, and his willingness to shoot, da -da -da, escaping some of our attacking players. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Alonso has striker instincts. I've said it once and I'll say it again. This guy, he just knows when to arrive. He splits defenders. He can volley it. He can header it. He's just got, like... You know, the thing is, he's so good at that wide position coming in. Um, it's such a difficult one. He's such an odd player. I mean, if you can, there's elements of, you know, if you're building a FIFA team, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy, I can afford to play him at left back. Yeah, he can be so effective offensively. You know, let's keep him there and get more superstars forward. It would be so interesting to see Alonso experimented with positionally. Now, I don't think it will happen. Like, I'm like, you know, I would love if, if, you know, in an FA Cup game or something, Sari played him, like you say, left centre midfield or left wide forward. Hell, if he fucking put Alonso as just like a striker one game, I would not be raging. I'd just be so intrigued. Do you know what I mean? I mean, loads of people would be pissed off. And ultimately, when we lose, I'd be like, you know, what an idiot. <laughs> but up to that, I would be so intriguing, wouldn't it? Because he's not, like, mega fast, but if he's just hanging around the box, floating in, cloak and dagger, you know, volleying, like I said, splitting defenders and, you know, get, just sort of drifting in, he could be wicked, and that would be so funny. He's, he's super tall, what is he, like, 6'2"? He's a presence, he's not, like, a wuss, man, he's a big dude as well. It would just be so interesting. I mean, I love that question, man, it's a, it's a super good question. I'd like... I'm with you, Jimmy. Like he, he, he looks like he could do all that stuff, but I don't think Sari is going to be one of these. You know, Sari will be criticised massively if he starts throwing players in random places and stuff. But looking at himself, you know, we're not the first people to think it as well. His player attributes could afford him great success in other positions potentially, but um, I'm not sure we're ever going to see it. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, whether he'd want that or not. You know, Hazard commented how he's always looking up and Alonso's in front of him and he's just like, dude, <laughs> defend. But anyway, who knows? I'd love to see it, man. I think we're all in the same boat with that. Um, uh, Kirkamesh, how's it going, bro? What position do you think we need to strengthen in the winter? I think a striker and an attacking fullback on the right side. Um, let's go fullback first. I mean, maybe a backup. Who's back up to Alonso, right? Sorry, excuse me, Azpilicueta. Moses, I, I said before, maybe in the Europa side, he could play as a really offensive fullback. But Sari has, he wouldn't play him in midfield because he can't play the midfield in the Sari system. But um, Sari's played him as a right forward and it wasn't great. His old position, essentially. But I think he used to play right wing in like a 4 2 3 1, so he'd be further back than a right forward. So maybe that's why he's not great as a right forward. Um, I'll zap Acosta, of course, man. Uh, I don't know. The thing is, uh, it uh, again, it been talked about before how the Sari system is played it is actually lopsided where the right uh, the right back tucks in and it, this is why it's better for Alonso because it all sort of like squishes around to the left and the right back is more like a right center back which suits Azpilicueta well and um it's good to have that defensive solidity down that side I'm very happy to keep Azpilicueta as first choice um unless you mean get a better second choice uh, that's more attacking I don't know let's see how 
I don't think I don't think that's a big problem at all, really. I'm ha- quite happy with that. Uh, it's just striker, really. I agree with you on striker. It's just to see if Morata can do it or not do it. Even if Morata, say in the next ten games, scored eight goals, I still wouldn't be convinced till the end of the season when I see him with like twenty goals, twenty-two goals, or whatever. Because we saw him start so well last season, and he has got, you know, between ten and sixteen goals in a season for other teams before. So. We don't know till we know, dude. We got to, it's got to give him time. We've got probably one of the best striking coaches in Europe in Sarri. Um, he's done great things with other guys. Whether he can with Morata, I don't know. But we've certainly if he's if he or Giroud aren't doing the business, and it really is up to Morata in terms of the first choice stylistically. If he's not doing the business in winter, then yeah, we will go in for someone. Whether Chelsea would bust the break the bank, it really depends on league position as well. If we've like putting in a challenge and we're up, at, you know, we're in all competitions, we're up at top of the league, the board might go right, you know, let's try and activate a clause somewhere or let's try and pry someone away or I don't know. There might even be a clause in bringing Mishy back in January, but then again, Sorry didn't even like I don't know. It's like a bowl account. Sorry didn't want to have a proper look at him. We don't know the truth behind that. Maybe like the club are like look with. It makes sense for us um, right now to loan Mishy out for X reason, X reason, and X reason. Don't worry about him. Look at this. And again, when Sarri arrived at Chelsea, he was just very happy to be there and work with what he's got. Especially the fact how we gave him Jorginho. So he wasn't going to start kicking up about anything. You know, why would he? A, even Conte didn't, you know. And eventually we you know, found out the kind of character that Conte was. But he was quite humble and okay to work with what he had when he arrived and and by, by what evidence we're looking at, Sari is way more sort of um, easygoing than Conte. So he wouldn't have kicked up in that sense. Um, we'll have to see, man. If, if we really are struggling for goals with the strikers, um, we'll, have to, we'll just have to see. We'll have to see. Maybe striker in the, um, in the uh, winter break, but I don't think there's any weaknesses anywhere else, dude. I think we've got what we need. Um, and yeah, I think we've got a very good B team as well. All right, Rohit, how you doing, dude? With Kante playing in a new role and not as a proper CDM under Sari, does the defence look more shaky? Um, as even Alonso tries to stay near the wings and not in <laughs> and in the box for shooting chances. Yeah, we've just talked about him. Too much to handle for Asby, Rudiger, and uh, David. Um, the thing is, defensively, with Sari, he was quite comfortable in discussing this. It's systematic. The way Chelsea defend is not the way Chelsea used to defend. Um, we used to do that, a lot of that shadow play under Conte, um, standing in certain places. And you know they, you know, like commentators in England go, "Oh, he got caught ball, ball watching," and um, and he got caught in possession or whatever. Sorry, like openly says, "We watch the ball. That's how I play." And I think essentially that's sorry ball. Everyone watches the ball. Everyone presses, um, and it's just a bit of a sort of manic, exciting style, really. I think N'Golo Kante is an incredibly good player and I think he could be incredibly good in this sort of advanced eight role. He can just win possession back higher up the pitch like he used to. Um, I did allude, um, I spoke last pod about how he made that recovery against Bournemouth when he ran all the way back and actually made the recovery in the zone where he used to. Uh, we're just almost taking advantage of this absolute beast. N'Golo Kante, la 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 la. I love that French chant, dude. Um, that sort of French presentation they had after the game where um, Pogba was singing that song on the mic again. <laughs> the world adores N'Golo Kante, um, not least Chelsea fans. 
Anyway, I'm digressing, talking about N'Golo Kante stories. I think he can be very useful there. His interplay is very good, and he holds on to the ball well. In the final third, if he's holding on to the ball well and he's not going to get intercepted, then he's a valuable player to have there laying off to someone. I think he could be a very, very useful player there. He's only played a few games there in his whole career, I think, or maybe he did in France. Anyway, I don't want to say things I'm not entirely sure of, but... I think give him a chance, dude. I think he could be excellent there. And I think in terms of defensive frailties, that's a systematic thing. Sorry's very calm about that. He's like, look, don't worry. Give us a few months. This is going to suck for a while. But we'll get there. So I can't really... I know pundits and everyone wants to attribute that entirely to, um, to Kante's repositioning. But I don't think that's the case, dude. I think the defensive frailties will slowly get better. And Kante will really show his dominance in that position. Um... And, you know, Insari can make slight tweaks and adjustments. And, we'll, we, you know, we'll get, he'll be... I did pose the question of how would we be better with Jorginho, Barkley and Kovacic as that middle three, like really offensive, decent eights. Um, but no, Kante is undroppable, I think. And he can make those interceptions anywhere on the field. Okay, Ezra, Matthew, how you doing, man? What do you make of the just-founded UA for <laughs> Nations League? Okay, I'm not going to go into this. I said at the beginning of the pod, um, it is good. I think it's really good, man. I think, you know, the promotion, relegation, trophy, backdoor, qualification to the Euros is all good. It's it's Once the tables start coming together and we can see like, oh, so-and-so going to get relegated. Or, oh, cool. These guys are going to get promoted. I think it is cool. It makes it more interesting and slightly more bearable, the Nations League. Right, guys, that's the questions I'm going to answer for today. I am going to preview the Cardiff game, um, which is nice to have a preview to do. Uh, Let's move on. Right, glamour fixture, Chelsea versus Cardiff. Um, Let's think about this. Cardiff looked better against Arsenal. They played a bit of rough and tumble against a team that is poor defensively. I think that was at Cardiff as well, so they had like the sort of backing of the crowd. This is at the bridge. Um, We're a little bit more settled now. We've got to win this fucking game, dude. (laughs) I was going to try and, like, open up some objective analysis about how it's important to win. They're a very big team. We're not a very big team anymore, I don't think. Um, Well, not... Maybe a few of us are. But certainly our front line, if, if Hazard and Pedro are playing and Giroud's not, we're not a very strong team. Jorginho's not a very big lad. Kante's obviously small, he's really strong. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the rough we can't let him rough and tumble us, especially in our own yard. You know, I expect a win here. Uh, Neil Warnock, who actually, I'm not going to try and do his accent. I think it's absolute box office, him back in the league. He's such a funny guy. <laughs> On that Arsenal game, he was like, you know, chatting with the fourth official saying, oh, this is a great game. You know, he just loves watching the game. He's not, he's not stressed out. Well, he is, he's stressed out. He's losing his shit half the time, but then it'll just chill completely. Turn to the fourth official and be like, oh, this is great, isn't it? He's just so, he's so happy to be in the Premier League. Like, and he just had like a sort of lucid moment of watching like an exciting game of football. Not like, oh, my team's defending like a shit show or, oh, this is really bad or, you know, good. Or it's just, he just sort of had this sort of, chill moment where he really appreciated the game um and then then goes back to absolutely slaughtering the ref and screaming and effing and blinding at him <clears throat> so yeah it's, it's I can, you know it's always funny to watch neil chat to the media and watch him on the touchline 
So yeah, I I expect nothing else than a Chelsea win. I'd also like a clean sheet for Ariza Balaga. Um, maybe see him do a couple of saves. He's had such a good run. Yeah, we could. We our run our fixture list is good all the way up until Liverpool. When I need to check the fixtures. Anyway, you guys can check the fixtures. We're in good. We're in a good position right now. That that Arsenal win really put a shine on our run and we could have easily lost that game let's be honest with ourselves fortunately we didn't that's football you know rubber the green your opponent forgetting how to finish and all that but we're in a really good position it looks awesome um and we need to beat cardiff for this to sort of continue we need maybe a clean street i wouldn't a one nil would be i mean you'd take the points regardless wouldn't you but i'd I'd want at least like a two nil or you know I just want a, a comprehensive win because it is Cardiff. You know, they are favourites to be 20th. Sure, they showed a bit of heart and maybe they could stay up somehow. But if we want to beat Chelsea again, as we know them, we've got to be putting these guys away at home. There's just no two ways about it. It's new new gaffer, we're sorry or not. We've got to show some minerals here. And this is this is a perfect game to just be like, look, brush you aside, 3-0. Uh, hopefully a Morata goal or whatever. Maybe Eden carries on his form. That reminds me, I need to look at my fantasy football team. Anyway, I might get Pedro in. Anyway, I'd <laughs> think it out loud. Um, yeah, so I'd like to think maybe a 3-0 win. I'd be interested to see what you guys are thinking on Twitter. Hit me up at Chelsea Yannick. Um, talk about the game coming ahead. Uh, I expect the same lineup. I know it's an easier opposition, whether that would dictate Sari making changes or not. I don't think so. I think he'll want to implement or embed the training and uh, everything into these players as much as he can before big, bigger opponents like Liverpool and stuff and United. So yeah, I expect the same side. Pedro over Willian, I probably would imagine. The only thing is, isn't it, Morata? Like you watched Giroud score yesterday, or I think it was, or the day before, losing my mind. Uh, and then Morata just not... You know, not it's being a bit more idle, but I think he will start with Morata and Giroud will be choice B. Um, and yeah, guys, so I'm gonna predict a 2 0 win. If it was after straight after the Bournemouth game, I'd say 3 0, but because there's been the break, chemistry might have dipped a little bit. So I'm gonna say 3 0 win. Hopefully, Morata gets in the score sheet. Yeah, Hazard and Morata to score, the rest is a bonus. Let's have a bit of that, ladies and gents. I'll forget about that prediction, but if I get it right, do remind me. And, um, yeah. Okay, guys, I'm gonna sort of wrap this up now. Thank you again for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Maybe if you just wanted to hear me talk about Chelsea and football and stuff and interact with you guys on social media. Um, obviously the game, the Chelsea's back now, so we can talk about the games a bit more, um, and interact like that. Thank you for the regulars coming back and listening, man. I really feel like it's a sort of like chemistry now between me and the listeners. It's cool to see a sort of um, looking at the analytics on the podcast to see the sort of numbers level out and grow slightly. Because that to me means people are listening every week. And that means a lot, man, because, you know, what? I listen to podcasts as well. I'm just like all you listeners. I'm exactly the same. I listen to podcasts religiously, football ones, Chelsea ones all the time. And the fact how I get a chance and a platform to talk about my footballing opinions and, you know, love for Chelsea FC is pretty fucking awesome. 
I uh, really appreciate you guys listening. And um, if you want to help me out, then please share it with your, your friends. Uh, tell, tell other people who enjoy Chelsea. Um, hopefully we can expand the Yannick and Chelsea family. Oh, yeah. And guys, if you listen to my podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, can you please do, do me a solid and give me a five-star rating and maybe write a nice little review or message? Because that's super nice for me to go back and read. Nice little bit of feedback on that platform. And again, yeah, that just helps me hopefully expand and get more listeners. And then I can make the pod better. I'll get you guys more involved and see what I can do with the podcast. Wicked. All right, guys. I am going to wrap this up. So, up the chels. Keep the blue flag flying high. Carefree, wherever you may be, listener. And I'll see you later.